Agua. Lesson one is don't be afraid to break rules, right? That's lesson one. Lesson 1A is know the rules before you break them. You, you can't just go in and start throwing shit around. You got to know where the shit was before you threw it around. And one of the most important things, if you're going to be a rule breaker, and if you're going to earn the respect of people around you, is you got to show that if push comes to shove, you can do what they do, but they may not be able to do what you do. I'm Rick Sanchez, and this is the Rick Sanchez Podcast. And we talk a lot these days about things that we can do to uh, improve our lot, so to speak, right? So we can make ourselves better and have more value. And uh, I think we focus more on this. That doesn't mean, by the way, I know a lot of folks have been listening to this podcast for a while now, and I want to thank you for being there, and I want to thank you for hanging in there while we talk about so many important things, including the news, which I can't help but want to talk about sometimes, because we, we learn so much about ourselves both individually and collectively, when we see what people are saying or not saying. And we're still going to be doing some of that. But I I always want to start our podcast with an emphasis on what we can do as no matter what we are, right? I call it the Latino Plus community of the United States. What is Latino Plus? Latino Plus is really everybody, including Latinos and then moving on. My wife is Latino Plus, not because she's Latina, because she married me and she's a hillbilly from Georgia, as I always say, jokingly. But, you know, we've been married for 33 years and we've got four beautiful children and a granddaughter and we're so happy about that. But she is tied to my culture. She can't, How can she not be? I mean, my parents don't even speak English. And she's been a part of our family now for 33 years as I've been a part of hers. So I learned a lot about the Georgia culture and she's learned a lot about my Latino culture. So when I say Latinos and I say Latino Plus, I'm talking about Scotty Mendick who's been my buddy forever and he understands me and he knows my family and I know his. And and I'm talking about Asians and I'm talking about, uh, you know, African-Americans and I'm talking about anybody who's into, you know, Latino hip hop music. I mean, that's how this thing is all expanded. So I think as maybe the word that I sometimes think is even better, Scotty, when I describe those among us who sometimes need that little lift, that little advantage, that little encouragement, that little tip, that skill set that can take us to the next level. And I think what I'm talking about is we who consider ourselves outliers. That's the word. I'm, I'm an outlier. I, I don't feel like I'm part of the insiders club. I've never felt like I was part of the, yeah. you're definitely not part of the insiders club. <laughs> no, and, not at all. And, and Jerry, you're not a part of the insiders club, you know? And, and neither is Fernando, and neither is Jorge, and neither is Luis. We're just, you know, we, we don't see the world like, well, gosh, I'm going to say this. I said I wasn't going to talk about news, but I'm going to say it. <laughs> we, we don't see ourselves like we're in any way, shape, or form like the people that we watch on, for example, cable news, or even most of the people who write for major newspapers. So these are the people who are shaping the opinions of America. And in many ways, they're shaping opinions about us, about people like you, Scotty, and people like me. But I I don't think they get me, right? It's it's hard to assume that they would get you, myself, you know, the average person that went nine to five. I'm sure there's people that had to, you know, pull themselves up, uh, you know, in the industry. But for a majority, 
man, they just kind of come out, come off out of touch, really. Well, you know, I, it, it, I feel like it would be like that situation where uh, which president was it? George Bush that went to the supermarket and didn't know how to work the scanner at the, <laughs> you know, you know what I'm talking about? The supermarket. Yeah, that 41, time? not 43. Yeah, right. 41. Four, 43 I, I feel is the like, one who supposedly was born on third base and thought he hit a triple. That's uh... <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's great. But yeah, but I mean, yeah God bless him. I mean, it's like, I look, I wish I had. I wish I had been able to automatically go to an Ivy League school because my dad went to an Ivy League school. Mm -hmm. I wish I'd been born in a family that had hundreds of millions of dollars and I didn't really have to worry about what I wanted to do. I could pick and choose and fail and move on. I wish a lot of those things, but I actually believe, and here's where we get to the, to the root of this thing, that uh, we, here's the lesson. We, who are the outliers, have to work a little harder and accept that because we're different, those differences about us, write this down, those differences that you have will actually make you better if you embrace them. So what does that mean? That means that we have to break rules. Break rules. I've been a rule breaker my whole life. I've succeeded because I broke rules. I realized a long time ago and, you know, we were just making an example of, you know, the guys who are on TV, Anderson Cooper or Sean Hannity or, you know, this guy, that guy, whoever they are, you can name them all. And um, even before them, I always saw those guys on TV and I thought, I don't want to copy them. I don't want to be like them. I want to do something different. I'm going to break the rules because I knew that I had certain skill sets, certain abilities. As an outlier, I saw the world differently. And by sharing that view of the world, rather than trying to copy the view of the world that Tom Brokaw and Dan Rather and the other guys all have, I knew even early when I was just a kid breaking into this business that that could set me apart and people would relate to me. Now that happened to be my thing. So I broke rules. I mean, look, if we want to talk about breaking rules, and why it's important to succeed by breaking rules. And I don't mean being evil or being mean or breaking other people's property, or I'm not talking about committing a crime or anything like that. I'm just talking about not being conventional, making a decision that you can be or go, maybe is a better verb, go beyond the conventional. You can go beyond the conventional because... Those people who are doing whatever you're doing now, whether you're working in a firm and everybody's an accountant in the accounting department and you want to set yourself aside, those people don't have something that you have because you come at it from an outsider and as an outlier. And, 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 and I'll give you an example. And this was huge. And, and there, are, there may be some people out there who remember me. Maybe, maybe they don't. So I'm this kid who grew up in Hialeah, Florida, and my parents were really poor. But somehow I got a scholarship and somehow I went to play football. And because I was there, I then got a journalism scholarship and I had a journalism scholarship, with, which allowed me to then graduate and be a, I guess, journalist, right? I'm a journalist. Well, at least I have a degree that says I'm a journalist. That doesn't mean I'm a journalist because I haven't started practicing journalism yet. So I, I come to South Florida where everybody back then, when I first started out, was doing journalism. And listen to this because this is important. They were doing journalism in a very conventional way. So everybody on television wore a suit. 
even though it was 80 degrees out. Everybody on television wore a shirt with a collar and a tie. And everybody on television had a stick mic that they talked through, right? And they, and they all had tripods. And I made a decision that I would wear a lavalier and a stick mic so that I could interview people and move away when I wasn't on camera. And then I could go and find somebody to have a conversation with, including a police officer, if I was covering a story and say, so I'm standing here at the corner of Fifth and uh, Miami Avenue, where moments ago there was this uh, scene. Hold on just a minute. Uh, Officer Brown. And then I'd walk over to Officer Brown. I'd take the stick mic out of my pocket. I'd interview the guy. And then I would come back. And then I would put the stick mic back in my pocket. And then I would keep interviewing. I had a rule for photographers. No tripods. If you're going to go and do a story with me, you don't use a tripod. We're not going to put the thing in the ground and then I'm going to stand in front of there, standing at attention like I'm, you know, uh, I, you know, a statue while talking to the, the, the camera. I said, no, we're going to move. We're going to shuck. We're going we're gonna to shuck and jive and groove and we're going to be asking questions. We're going to do all those things. I would never wear a suit. I decided, no, this is, first of all, I'm in a hot environment. Why am I wearing a suit? Why are all our reporters wearing suits? So I, I went against the convention. I decided I would not wear a suit. So what did I do? I, sure, I put on a tie, but I barely had on the tie. It was all the way down to like the middle of my chest somewhere because it was all loose. And my sleeves were always completely rolled up and nobody had ever done that before. I know it sounds weird because a lot of people do that today because you know, styles have changed. But I'm telling you right now, when I was doing this, people looked at me like, who the hell's that guy? What's that guy doing? And so I wore up, I rolled up my sleeves. I put my tie way down. I threw away the suit. I had a no tripod rule. I would wear a lavalier so I wouldn't have distance between me and the, and the viewer. Because if I figured if I was holding a stick mic in front of me, it would be like there's this thing between us. So when I was talking to the viewer, I would only wear a lot. When I was talking to police officers or the mayor or somebody else, and I would run around and talk to them, then I would wear the stick mic. So these are my rules. That th Those were old conventional standards. Those were rules. I decided one day that I would change them because I wanted to do things the way I thought I talked. And I always thought... Why do people on TV sound like they're giving a speech when they should sound like they're having a conversation? I, I want people to feel like they just came into my house and we're chatting or we're sitting at a bar and we're having a conversation over a beer because that's how people really talk. So I implemented that way back when before anybody was doing any of this crazy shit, really. And people went, damn, what the hell is that? I was telling stories by walking people through it rather than a dispassionate approach, a distanced approach. I mean, there I was saying things like, hold on, come with me, come with me. I want to show you something. People are like, did he just look at the camera and say, come with me? <laughs> Nobody had ever done that before. And, you know, hey, I want to show you something. Let's go over here and meet my, uh, my friend, uh, you know, who I talked to a moment ago, who's going to tell us something. And then I'd start the interview. So, all of these things were against the standards of television. Well, guess what happened? Guess what happened? I happened to be working at a time for a television station. It was called WSVN, Channel 7. We became the highest rated, most copied format in all of the entire United States to the point where no matter where you went, people had seen my tape. People had seen me doing that thing. They were like, 
you're the guy who does the thing. <laughs> what thing? You know, the walk and talk <laughs> thing. Yeah. And, and it's weird because then what happened was people would come up to me when I was eating uh, with my family at a restaurant. And uh, they would say to me, oh, hey, Rick, what's going on? And they would start tell. they felt like that, that because somehow we had broken through that they knew me. Well, they didn't know me, but, and then I was always uncomfortable because people would come up at a restaurant and sit down and start talking to me. And I was like, do I know this person? I don't think I do. But they felt like they knew me because, because of, because we had done that. And because, you know, I'm a poor kid who grew up in a barrio and, Never had any money, and I was just a regular guy, and I, that's the what I took to TV. So think about what I did there. And, and listen, I'm, I'm not trying to say this because, you know, it's any big shakes or anything. I'm not trying to impress you with it. I just happened to do that, and I think it's important and illustrative now for us because what I'm sharing with you is I took something that made me different, and in many ways I could have looked at it and said, I'm not as good as these guys on TV. I'm not as good as the Bobby Gilmartins. I'm not as good as the Bob Shays. I'm not as good as these guys who've been doing, you know, they, they were the big time famous reporters who've been on TV for years. And I could have said, I, I don't know how to do what they do, uh, you know. But instead, I said, I'm going to do it differently because they have their way. And that's fine. Boy, something I learned from my old friend, Larry King. He said this to me once. I miss Larry King. I love Larry King. I love he, your Larry King stories, by the way. Oh They're my always God. so like amazing. He said to me this once. He said he was having a, an argument with Bill O'Reilly. And, and Bill O'Reilly was trying to take him down. And they were both on, I guess, at 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock. And Fox News was coming up. And he wanted to knock down Larry King, who was the most watched and the most highly rated anchor on all of television. And Larry, too, was like me. He's a Jewish kid who grew up in Brooklyn. And boy, would always tell you that at the beginning of every story. I'm a Jewish kid who grew up in Brooklyn. And, and he grew up poor. I mean, you know, I just happened to be reading Larry's book the other night, thinking about Larry. I think about Larry a lot. And uh, Larry, Larry and I had a really good friendship. And uh, he talks about how his mom, right, uh, would, 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 would be really hard on him. And then when his, he talks about his father, owned a bar, interestingly enough, and everybody knew him and everybody liked him and he had a great sense of humor and he loved to tell stories. But their, 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 their goal in life was to move to Bensonhurst. That was their goal. One day we're going to move to Bensonhurst, you know? And, they, they, you know, he talks, when you talk to him or if you get one of his books, he was a poor kid growing up in a tough area and he somehow broke through and he made that. And when he got there, he didn't change. When you heard Larry talk, what he told, going back to the story that I was about to share with you, I never forget. Bill O'Reilly says to Larry King, um, you know, your problem, Larry King, is you never ask any hard questions. You know, you always talk to people and you throw softballs. You're throwing them softballs, Larry. I do it better. And Larry said to him, well, Bill, here's what we'll do. You do it your way and I'll do it my way. We'll see what happens. That's what he said. You do it your way, and I'll do it my way. Because there isn't a one way, right? Scotty, we've learned this in television. We've learned this. There's the no radio. one way, man. <laughs> Absolutely, man. And I, as a producer, I've dealt with that a lot because I'm the, as a producer working in a corporate place, at least, the producer is kind of the buffer between the talent and what management wants. And a lot of times, 
it would be me fighting for something that we would be doing different because, well, why not? Everybody else is going left. We're, we're going to try going right and see how that works out for us. And, and I'm a big, I've always been that guy. I've always kind of looked at things differently. I've always, you know, well, maybe this way is better. Maybe it's not, but let's find out because, you know, what what's the harm in it? Uh, my question I have for you that I found interesting, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of people would, is when you started doing those things, when you started implementing those rules that were the quote-unquote industry standards, the viewers enjoyed it, I'm, I, I know, over time. Oh, but what God, was the, the highest, initial, highest rated not, show in the history of South Florida. Not just with the management, but what did your peers think? Because, I mean, there was obviously guys there that had been doing this for years, and now here's this young, you know, Cuban kid coming here, and, and he's, you know, sleeves up. No jacket on. This is television. You know, did you, how did you, what did you have? I'm sorry, let me rephrase that. What was that pushback and how did you push through it more, more importantly? Well, this is where we come to lesson 1A. So lesson one is don't be afraid to break rules, mm. right? That's yeah. lesson one. Lesson 1A is know the rules before you break them. Wow. You, you can't just go in and start throwing shit around. You got to know where the shit was before you threw it around. And yeah. one of the most important things, if you're going to be a rule breaker and if you're going to earn the respect of people around you is you got to show that if push comes to shove, you can do what they do, but they may not be able to do what you do. You hear the difference? Yeah. I didn't go in there and just start crazily saying crazy stuff and grabbing microphones and running around like a chicken with his head cut off. I was trained as a journalist at the University of Minnesota, at the Eric Severad School of Journalism. I had already been working my way up. I got a job where I was paid a cup of coffee to be a reporter and work the streets. So I had already established myself as somebody who understood what the conventions of reporting was. And when I first started out there, I did all the work conventionally, just like my peers. But as I started watching myself and others, then I developed into my own style. So it wasn't like I was breaking rules that I didn't know. I was breaking rules that I knew. I knew the rules. I knew the standards. I knew the ethics. I knew what the rules of journalism are. I knew all of those things. But now I was able to stretch them, change them. So while there was always going to be, and still are people who think Rick Sanchez is just a hot dog, which I've heard a million times, or whatever else they wanted to call me, which is probably (laughs) worse, for the most part, our core of reporters, you know, Mm -hmm. those guys who call, those gals and guys who called ourselves reporters, of which I was the first one who broke through, who was a Latino, they took me in eventually. Mm -hmm. And on Fridays when we would go to Shuckers, um, they would buy me as many beers as I bought them. Uh, yeah. And boy, did we drink too many beers back then. But anyway, that's another <laughs> so story. So I've heard stories. So, <laughs> but, 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 part, but, but it was because, and this is really, really important. This is a really important takeaway about breaking rules. You must first learn the rules before you can appreciate the significance of successfully breaking them. Because if you go in as a hack, And that's what most people are called in any business where you're just a rookie. You don't know what the hell you're talking about, but you come in acting like you know everything that will, they will double down on you and you will be destroyed because you'll be found out, right? In life, you always get found out. If you're phony, if you're fake, if you go in there, you go, I want to do it my way. And they're going to say, so where did you get your journalism degree? 
I don't, ha- I don't need a journalism degree. Yes, you do. Sorry. Yes, you do. Where'd you, yeah. uh, where, where'd you learn to do stories? I've never done a story. I'm going to do one now. No, sorry. <laughs> yeah, sure. You, that, that, then you're not a rule breaker. You're a faker. Yeah. And that puts a target on your back. Of course. I mean, that literally will put a big target on your back where everybody then is just gunning for you. Yeah. So you got you to gotta know why a rule works. Understand what you stand to lose by breaking it. Then consider ways to compensate for its loss or meet that need in new ways, right? Yeah. That's, that's, that's how you I, – I think it's essential to break rules, either in a small way or a not-so-small way, as soon as you know what the rules are, because that's how we grow. That's how we create new yes. standards. That's how new businesses are developed. That's how you develop the Googles of the world and the Amazons of the world. Some of them I wish hadn't been developed, but you know what I mean. Uh, and, and this lets you test hypotheses. And, and, and set different mechanisms that underpin, you know, those breakthroughs so, so that you can better learn from them, right? And then share and then replicate them. So I'm glad you asked that question, Scotty, because, yeah, the only way that you will earn the respect of your peers when you break rules is if you knew the rules. Yeah. Yeah. And that was one of the, anytime that I would, you know, I guess, try to break a rule, I would not only understand it, but I would do it in a way where it didn't come off where I was, you know, trying to make it, you know, I didn't want to come off as one of those people, like a know-it-all basically. Like, mm-hmm. I know you guys have been doing it like this forever, but I think this way of doing a show would work way better. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's about the communication of how you communicate yeah. these things. It's not, well, if you have to again, ever say that, you're dead. <laughs> Once you walk into a room and say, I know the way you guys think it works, but let me tell you what I think. It's like, ah, <laughs> yeah, that, that, that may be what I'm thinking. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. On Oops! The Podcast, join me, comedian Julio Gallerati, as I examine everyday life, the mistakes, the bad decisions, the goals, the jokes, the social engagements, and all things in between. I'm joined every week by producer and personal confidant, Ryan Lynch, various other comedians for witty, candid, and intoxicating conversation. Our listeners love Oops! for sophisticated banter, aka your mom could listen, and many feel like they're in the room with us chopping it up with old pals. You can find every episode of the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or YouTube. The other thing is, and this is really another important part of this lesson, if the lesson is, A, embrace who you are and what makes you different, what makes you unique, B, break the rules so that your uniqueness can shine. You don't have to stick to the convention. You don't have to be like everybody else. C, before you break the rule, know the rule. Don't go in there like a wild dog and just start barking around people who probably have five, 10 <laughs> years more experience than you, unless you respect what they've done, because that's really important. Otherwise, you're literally just, you know, throwing crap against the wall. And I think five, and I think this is really important as well, is you have to know that there really are no instruction manuals for this. Um and it's okay to be first. Someone has to be first. I was the first to, to make a rule with photographers at uh, my television station that I wanted them not to take tripods out. And we'd get to a scene and they'd go to the trunk and they'd start getting that big giant tripod, which were, maybe the reason I didn't want it because I was always stuck carrying it. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> Those things are heavy as hell. But traditionally, a photographer would get to a scene, take out his tripod, go there and start shooting video. And I'm going, what are you doing? What, are you, what is this, uh, you know, Michelangelo? I mean, what, what are we shooting, pictorials? We're here to tell a story. You don't tell a story by standing 100 feet away and taking pictures, portrait photography. You get in people's faces. Let's go talk to them. They're good people. We'll just become their friends or whatever. But yeah. we get the story by talking to people. So let's get that camera and go talk. And that's, nobody had ever done that before. But, mm. you know, I didn't, there wasn't an instruction manual that said that's the way you have to do it. It was just convention. Someone always has to be first. I chose to be first. Someone needs to be the first person that attempts the thing that has never been attempted before. I chose to do that. There's no guarantees, but there's no instruction manuals. When I went to CNN and nobody had ever decided to one day do what I did and take out a laptop and say, there's this thing called Twitter. What do you say we do Twitter? And they, and I could tell the listeners were, or the viewers on CNN. I mean, here I was, the biggest TV network in the world. And I decided one day that I was going to talk to them through Twitter. And I said, <laughs> I remember, there's this thing called www.twitter.com. WWW. Yeah, literally. <laughs> www.twitter. <laughs> Go there. This was what? Uh, 2010, 2010, 2008, 20, 2009. Somewhere in there, yeah. Somewhere in there, yeah. And I, and I was telling people, go there and you know what? As you're watching me talk on television, go to that website, join that thing called Twitter, and there'll be a box and you can fill in your comment. Tell me what you think of the story I just covered. Tell me what you think of what's going on. Tell me what you think is important that I haven't covered. Tell me what you like. Tell me what you don't like. And people jumped on there. And all of a sudden I was talking to 100, then a 200, and then 1,000, then 10,000, then 100,000. It was crazy. Mm. And nobody had ever done this before. Now, I'd like to take full credit, but John Klein, who was the president of CNN, had suggested I do it. But still, yeah, he didn't tell me how to do it. I just did it. So I, again, did. I broke the rule and I was first. And you know what's interesting about that also? I know from that time, you got made fun of a lot for that. Mm-hmm whether it be the other news cable programs taking cheap shots about the guy on there using the internet to get his news or, you know, John Stewart actually doing segments about you going to the Twitters about it, uh, you know, and, and it's interesting too, because it also kind of, I think it, it speaks a lot what we're talking about now at that same time, I believe, give or take Larry King, he had his show on CNN still. And what did he do on his show every night? He took phone calls from listeners, right? Right. He would have listeners call in and ask the guest questions, for God's sakes, like a radio show. But that was fine. Wow. Using the using the, the viewer participation in, in that aspect because it had been established. Telephones. Everybody yeah. uses telephones. He's right. Yeah, he's right. But so you when right. you did it, when you did it and you took it to a modern level, it was a big joke. Yeah. They called me. Yeah. <laughs> they made a lot of fun of me. Who is this? A lot idiot? of fun. Who is this idiot who's doing this stuff? Well. You know, they do say, you know, first they laugh at you, then they ridicule you. And then after a while, they accept you. So, yeah. you know, over. Well, now everybody but, but does it. Now, I was just going to say. Not only I, does everybody do it, I, but it's in people's contracts that you have to have a Twitter account or you have to have a social media account and you have to use it X amount of times a day and you have to promote your show or the shows are on the network. X am, I mean, hello. There was a famous article in the New York Times where they showed a picture of me and I think they had David Gregory and somebody else. And they said they're tweeting up a storm. And it was the first time the New York Times had written about Twitter. And then there was a museum in the Washington called the Museum. 
And they had a segment about new media and they had the Rick Sanchez exhibit for a while. Uh, and it was about okay. my introduction of Twitter. So that, that actually, you know, hell man, that, you know, that made me feel, feel, feel pretty good. Sure. I still got a lot of criticism and everything, but it, yeah. but, but again, I broke a rule and by breaking that rule, I kind of became better. Yeah. You know, I, I communicated uh, better. So I, I think that's probably, you know, one of the most and how important did you, how, how did you, I mean, how did you commit to it, especially when you were hitting all that ridicule? Not now, not from just the people around you, but obviously people in the public. I mean, they were making fun of it a lot, but a lot of people liked it at the same time. So how did you continue to push through against, oh, against the, the flowing water? Uh, I don't so think I pushed through very well. I think eventually it got to me and I took it too seriously. And that's what led to my being fired because mm. I was getting a lot of attention. I mean, I, I was, I didn't know it at the time because when you're one of us, when you're an outlier, when you're a Latino or Asian or African-American or something, and you feel like you don't belong already, uh, there's always going to be that part of you that thinks that. And because you think you don't belong, then when they hit you, it hurts a little more. So I never knew that I was at the time, quite possibly, the most famous guy on CNN. And it wasn't because CNN had me in prime time. I wasn't Anderson Cooper. I wasn't Larry King. I wasn't whoever. It's just because somehow... John Klein, the president of CNN, called me up to his office one day and he said, at this given moment, you have the highest non-white ratings and youngest ratings in the history of our network. That meant people under the age of, I guess, 30, and which is super young for CNN, yeah. oh and African-Americans yeah. and Latinos and Asians and all outliers out there were watching Rick's List like it was a, Rick, like a really cool thing. I didn't know that. I was just mm. going to work every day. So I, I didn't know that. So... When that happened, I guess other people knew that and they started hitting me for it. Like, who the hell is this buffoon? And that's yeah. kind of how they treated me, like I was a buffoon. Yeah. And they started hitting me for that. I didn't know how to take it. And I think I, I, I took it a little too personally. And I, and I should have just, you know, laughed it off and brushed yeah. him off my shoulder. But instead, Scotty, to be real honest with you. Mm -hmm. and, and that's, by the way, I don't know where we were at lesson five or lesson six in this. I think it was lesson six, right? When you, uh, when you talk about the things that you do when you're in a situation, and I think the first one was, you know, break the rules. Number six, I think is, and, and I'll just say this, get ready because it's going to get uncomfortable. It's going to get uncomfortable. When hmm. I'm, I'm advising and I'm saying here, advising may not be the right word. Um, in this podcast, this podcast is about being a rule breaker and you should be a rule breaker but you should go along with some of the other things that I talked about. And the final thing that's going to happen when you're a rule, when you realize that you're different and you have to embrace your differences and that allows you to break the rules and breaks the standards. And then you have to accept the fact that you better know what the rules are before you, you, you break them. Uh, in the end, and then of course you have to know that there's no instruction manuals that come with it. So get ready because it's, but in the end, the most important thing is when you do this, in the end, and this goes to the question you just asked me, Scotty, make sure that you're prepared for the heat because it's coming. When you break rules, when you're the first, when you do things differently, you're going to be criticized. You're going to be criticized because you're not like everybody else. And when you're not like everybody else, that's when people are going to look at you and point their finger at you. And I had a lot of people pointing their fingers at me. And I, I, I'm not sure I handled it as well as I should have, but I'll mm -hmm. tell you right now, 
it will get uncomfortable. And that's rule number six. <laughs> Prepare. Because the rule is going to get uncomfortable. That's just the way it is. But, no, I, I, I think that's great advice because I think always going into certain things, knowing especially that you're going to be facing an uphill battle, I think it, I mean, it doesn't make it easier by by no means, but at least you're able to compartmentalize better, I think. When you and I first started doing radio together, mm-hmm. I remember that I didn't know crap about how to do a radio show. But I remember that there were certain standards. And for the first, like, four or five months of doing our radio show, I was struggling just to stay within the lines. I, mm-hmm. I was not yet ready to go outside of what we were doing other than just, to, you know, it's a radio show. So you have to reveal yeah. a little bit of your personalities and you tell your stories. It wasn't until like the second year that we started kind of creating our own thing. That's when you, mm-hmm. and I will argue that for most things in life, that's how long it takes. Yeah, I agree. About two years, I would say about a year and a half, two years is when you first started getting your leg, so to speak, where you could literally sit down like somebody that's been doing it for many years and just turn on the mic and do it damn near flawless. You know, uh, I know we've mentioned in other podcasts, you know, your your handling of time. That's a big thing that you have to follow. And if you don't fully understand that, you're trying to break those rules. Well, then that's how people will lose jobs. That's a rule that can't be broken, unfortunately, because there's clock set up. But the way you uh, the way that you talked to the callers, that changed over time. You your your calls where you would allow people just continue to talk and talk. You learned how to now control the caller. Uh, you know, you learned how to play off the sound bites and you had the skills from the news when you were doing television news that did transcend onto that. Like, I'll never forget the times where you would be doing live coverage on the radio uh, of high speed chases. Yeah, it, it was great radio. Now, how could somebody do a high speed chase on radio? Because you're a, a great communicator. The yeah. words that you, and, and he just went by a, a silver like the or, way you or, 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 or I was able to. And this is, you know, we've talked about this before. And I think this was a podcast number. Uh, what is it? I think that was podcast number uh, 60 or so. One of the most important rules in life is take skill sets that you have from other things mm. and bring them into some other place. Don't stay in the same arena all your life. And, and I think that's one of the other rules and one of the other lessons, teaching lessons that we try to go through. I mean, I've lived a long life and I've done a lot of things, which is why I enjoy, you know, sharing whatever I can from, uh, from my own life. And, and by the way, we were talking a little while ago about what it's like to be an outlier, what's it like to be a Latino. And we were talking about news people. I, I want to give you an example now, because I don't want to leave in my heart. I'm still a journalist. I, you know, I feel like I was still that guy who graduated from the University of Minnesota, the schools, you know, the Eric Severide School of Journalism, the old CBS plan. And uh, I'm proud of that. And it, and it bothers me to a certain extent. And especially, you know, as an outlier, as a Latino, that generally speaking, even now, even now, we are not given our due. And, and I'm going to give you an example of this right now. So here is uh, the woman that I call Cruella DeVille. This is this woman, Carrie Lake. She is uh, uh, obviously now being made fun of by all the media for all the crazy things she said. And they're saying that she went out there and doubled down on Trump and said lots of mean things and lots of quote-unquote stupid things. So so listen to this. Listen to this. CNN goes out. They're going to do a segment on the fact that she just lost. So they, they just announced that she has lost 
the race for the governor in Arizona. And um, by the way, I was shocked. I thought she was going to win. Didn't you think she was going to win? I did think she was going to win. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. She said everything that Trump said. And I thought there were enough people out there who hated Latinos enough that would say, absolutely. I agree with you. But guess what? Didn't work. Maybe there were enough other people who said enough is enough. This is just crazy. You're mean. You're nasty. You're saying horrible things. And she did. And here's CNN giving an example of all the mean and horrible things she said. But look what's missing. I want For those of you who listen to this podcast, check this out. Listen to, I think Anderson Cooper tosses to this, or maybe he doesn't, but you're going to hear this little segment. It's a montage of crazy shit that Corella DeVille said. And you're going to hear all the things she said, but there's something missing. Here it is. It is not impossible to protect our kids at school. They act like it is. Nancy Pelosi, well, she's got protection when she's in D.C. Apparently her house doesn't have a lot of protection. So she's going after Nancy Thank God your ratings are in the toilet. That's exactly where they deserve to be. Going after journalists? Start being journalists. Stop spreading the garbage. I'm going to be your worst freaking nightmare for eight years. And these bastards back there don't want us talking about stolen elections. Yeah. Yeah. She's... I not believe she said that. Well, it doesn't matter. We had November 3rd, 2020. That was called Incompetency 101. They gotta fix this problem. This is incompetency. That is absolutely absurd. And, and are you guys buying that? Are you really buying that? This just sounds like a Jesse Smollett part two. I don't even know where her campaign office is. I'm assuming it's in a basement somewhere because that's where she's been campaigning. I'm going to win the election and I will accept that result because the people will never, the people of Arizona will never support and vote for a coward like Katie Hobbs. So they've got her criticizing Katie Hobbs. They've got her criticizing Nancy Pelosi. They've got clips of her criticizing the uh, election process. They're saying that everybody's a cheater. They've got her criticizing uh, journalists, uh, the media in general. They've, they, they, they've taken snippets of all the things she said that more, most people in polite conversation wouldn't say, and even most politicians would just not be that aggressive, that nasty, right? Um, but it's funny because there's one thing that for some reason CNN left out, and I think I know that reason. I think I know that reason because, you see, A, News entity like CNN is the product of its parts. And, and I've worked there. I know what the parts are, right? So who are the producers? Who is the anchor? Who led to that piece? Who were the people on the set when that piece was being delivered? Who are the executive producers? Who are the editors? And why wouldn't one of they say, hey, wait, I've got this thing where you want to show her being crazy? You want to show her being mean? You want to show her saying something that's just horrible and offensive and nasty? I got it right here. Let me stick it in there. But they didn't. And, and that thing that she says is about us. It's about me. It's about my mom. It's about my dad. It's about Latinos. She literally came out during this election, during her campaign, and said that we were all criminals and rapists. She said that. And now when... Anderson Cooper at CNN tosses to the lowlights of her. They don't include that. Do you think if that was my show, I would have included that? Can you say, hell yeah? Do you think if they had made one and not included that, I would have not maybe even had a conversation with my editor or my producer and said, what are you thinking? 
Why didn't you put that in there? But they didn't. You know why? Because we don't matter as much to them. I'm sorry, but we don't. When I say that when I was at CNN and I broke rules because I was proud of who I am, this is kind of what I was talking about. I'm no better than anybody else, but if I was anchoring this show instead of Anderson Cooper, I would have made sure my panel heard this, this. The media, the media might have a field day with this one, but I'm going to just repeat something President Trump said a long time ago, and it got him in a lot of trouble. They are bringing drugs. They are bringing crime, and they are rapists, and that's who's coming across our border. That's a fact. That's not true. It's not true. They are not rapists, and they're not bringing drugs. We've proven that. We've done... We've, we've done a podcast here that shows we did a fact check on whether Latinos were the ones bringing drugs. You know who's bringing the drugs? You know who's bringing the fentanyl? Americans. You know who's doing the fentanyl? Americans. It's not about Latinos. Those, pe- those desperate people trying to come here to improve their lives. I'm not saying we need to let everybody in. I'm not saying we should have open borders. But to say that horrible thing about those people. And then CNN plays a clip where they montage, they combine all the things that she said, and they leave that out. What the hell does that tell you? What the hell does that tell you about CNN and its editorial judgment when it comes to Latinos and how much they matter? They led with Nancy Pelosi, and they didn't even include Latinos because they care more about an insult to Nancy Pelosi than they do about 20% of the population in the United States. I'm sorry, but that's what I get out of that. If I'm being unfair, you tell me, Scotty. It's hard to argue, especially when you see constant examples. Um, I will say I did not see this clip played throughout the election process as much as I saw the Trump version back in 2014 play. And at the time, I kind of just said, well, maybe they're not playing it over and over and over again because... It'll 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 make some of the voters go out and vote because maybe they didn't know that she hates Latinos. And now they know that she hates Latinos and they want to go out and vote for her. So maybe we don't play that clip like we did with Trump. But that clip ran post-election. Why they didn't insert it in there, I have zero excuses for. So, (laughs) uh, yeah, it sounds pretty accurate to me. Yeah. And and this is why representation. We've talked about this in the past, by the way. This is why representation is so goddamn important. It's not about having somebody of, oh, well, we have to have a black guy on there. We have to have a Latino on there and make sure we have it. No, it's because of things like this. Mm hmm. It's things like this because as a white guy who went to Ivy League schools and went to private high school and private schools throughout my life and grew up around all these people, I'm not going to think about the clip that she said about those 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 right, people. Right. I'm going to worry about what she said about poor Nancy because uh, that could have been me for God's sakes. I could have been Nancy Pelosi in my mansion and my and my 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 significant other guy. You know what I'm saying? That's what it is. Which so this is us, why representation is important. And which takes us back to the beginning of this conversation. And maybe this is where we leave it. Right. That um, they rely on convention. Mm. They rely mm. on convention. Yeah. Anderson Cooper's only saying what the other guy who would have held his job, held his, his uh, sat in his seat before him would have done, or where the other guy after he leaves that seat and sits in that seat. Maybe Don Lemon, maybe the other guy. I don't know. Um, they only say what is conventional, 
And the reason they need somebody like you or maybe somebody like me or maybe somebody like us who grew up as outliers is because we would have included that. We yeah. would have thought outside the box. We would have said, well, what about all the horrible things this woman has said about Latinos? How can you do a story about a woman who has lost an election in Arizona, right? Where much of her message right. was Mexicans are all criminals and rapists and not include a soundbite where she talks about criminals and rapists. Mm. How is that possible unless you're just either not paying attention, you don't care, or you just think we're all a bunch of Gutierrez's, you know, where you can't even pronounce our names or know anything about us. That's all. And, and, and I think that's why when folks like us and whether we're, you know, a poor, you know, kid from, you know, an Irish neighborhood in Boston or a, a guy from uh, East Los Angeles uh, or uh, from Laredo. Uh, gets an opportunity, they need to break those rules and break those conventions and not be like everybody else. So let's leave it at that. Good, good, uh, good conversation, Scotty, as usual. I, I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate being able to share some of the things that I think that maybe we can all learn from in the end. I'm Rick Sanchez. This is the Rick Sanchez podcast. You can get this podcast, obviously, when you watch uh, when when you're on Spotify or when you're on Apple or wherever. And you can also get it, by the way, if you go to uh, aguamedia.com. You can go to aguamedia.com and you will be linked right through there. For Scotty Mednick, I'm Rick Sanchez. Thanks so much for being with us. Andale. Vamos con todo. Dale. Oh, and... Um, Con latitude, with latitude, which is Latino attitude. You got it. All right. Thanks, guys. Dale. Agua. 